Today's scripture comes from Mark chapter 9. We're going to read verses 14 through 29 in the ESV. Uh, We encourage you to find uh, that scripture. It will also be projected behind me, though, if you uh, don't have access to a pew Bible or have your own Bible or Bible app. I'll be reading that and aloud, and uh, we ask that you follow along. Uh, again, it's going to be Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, Today's message, uh, continuing in the story of Jesus series, is called Help My Unbelief. Um, Friends, I've noticed that we have this, this tendency in this world uh, to have kind of an either-or mindset. What I mean by that, uh, sometimes we call it binary thinking or either-or thinking. A binary system is either a, a, a one or a zero. It's either a yes or a no, right? Either a, a, a team sucks or they're awesome, right? Uh, so, have you ever seen like like a, a like you know some sort of you know game where maybe the the game is like really close and one team wins by one point, or it goes into overtime or something like that? It's actually tied afterwards, right? And it's so funny to me the narrative that goes on after the game. Um, I, I put up a picture of the Lions. Uh, it says, why your team sucks, because, I don't know, people are just perpetually ne- negative about these teams. But even that thinking, like, oh, these teams suck. I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? You know, like, for as bad as the Lions can be, or the Browns, or whatever team that you think sucks, you know, they're better than me, right? Like, if I went out there, like, like they're going to be, you know, they'll, they'll beat a team that we just assemble from LGM, Right? <laughs> Um, all things are relative, but we have a very binary w- w- way of thinking. So if the game is close, 
uh, the sports writers will write up about that, that, that game. They'll be like, oh, the team that won was awesome. Oh, the other team, they blew it. They suck, right? And, and it's so funny because really, it was a super close game. You know, and maybe it was like one bounce of the ball that decided the game, one mistake here or there, one penalty here or there, right? But all of a sudden, one team is the glorious winner and the other team is the horrible loser, right? And so this kind of binary thinking, uh, this sort of uh, dualistic way of thinking, is very dangerous in this world. It's, it simplifies our world, but I think it makes us think that some of us are unworthy or unqualified because we fall in the, the other camp. Not the camp that is the glorious winner, but the camp that is the pathetic loser, right? And I wonder if sometimes we think about faith in this way. Um, so sometimes we think about faith as an either-or proposition. Either you have faith or you don't have it. I've actually heard sermons preached like this. You know, and um, I, I actually tried. I'm like, okay, well, maybe there's some scripture that backs this up. That either you have faith completely or you don't have it at all. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, I looked. I couldn't find any scripture like that. The closest thing I could find, and actually I remember hearing a sermon like this, and when I looked it up, apparently there's some online sermons like this, where they, the, the title of the sermon was, Faith, You Either Have It or You Don't. And what they used was the story of the, the um, faith the size of a mustard seed. You guys remember that? Right? Like Jesus talking about, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to go jump into the ocean. Right? And some people use that, and I think it's a stretch, to be honest. They say, oh, See, because what Jesus is trying to say is it doesn't matter the size of your faith. You either have it or you don't. So even if you had faith that's really small, it's the same thing as faith that's really big. I'm like, mm, I'm not really sure that's what Jesus was saying. Because, again, he's talking about the size of faith. So he's saying that the size of faith is relative. There's some big faith and there's some small faith. Right? Think about this uh, saying. It is oft used in society. Uh, it's just something that people say. Oh, ye of little faith. Do you ever hear someone say that? Right? Do you know where that comes from? No, I even thought about this. And I was like, I don't know why this wasn't automatically known to me, but this is obviously from the Bible. I mean, even the way it's phrased. Oh, ye of little faith. It's the King James, right? It's like that old ye, thy, thou, right? This is when um, Peter is sinking and Jesus reaches out and he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Right? And so that, Oh, ye of little faith, Oh, you of little faith. Um, what is Jesus even saying there? He's saying, Your faith is little. He had enough faith to start walking across the water, but at some point he started to doubt. So there you see a juxtaposition between faith and doubt, they both exist at the same time. Otherwise, Peter never would have been able to walk across the water. But if he didn't have doubt or a little lack of faith, he wouldn't have started to sink. Right? It's not an either-or proposition. Sometimes we can have both. And I think that's definitely true of us today. And so I wanted to say that from the outset because we're going to talk about faith. And I don't want you to think that, oh, because my faith is weak, oh, I don't have any. That somehow disqualifies me. I'm the pathetic loser in the equation of, of faith. That's not the case, friends, right? You know, I, I used to say this to people, and I actually think it's true. I mean, you know, I guess I don't know for sure, but 
I, I posit that if you are here this morning, if you're sitting in the pews today, you have some faith. Otherwise, why would you come in the middle of a snowstorm to church? Right? Why would you make that effort? You know, maybe some people would say, oh, but it's a mix of motives, right? Like, maybe you came because you wanted to see friends. Maybe you came because you were bored. Maybe you came because you really want to eat, you know, free lunch or whatever the case may be. But friends, even in that, what are we saying? We're saying a mix of motives. You have a mix of motives. So some of the motives are noble, right? Are are fueled by faith. It is not an either-or proposition. And so friends, I am concerned with how we grow our faith. So my question for you is, well, how strong is your faith? Knowing that for people like the disciples, Peter, who sunk because of his little faith, but he also started walking across the water. He followed Jesus because of his little faith also. Right? Knowing that even the disciples were not disqualified because of their little faith. I want to ask you this question. You know, and, and, and I don't want this to be about guilt or shame or beating ourselves up. Oh, I suck. I'm, I'm this horrible, faithless person. But just for us to take inventory, how big is your faith? Do you want your faith to grow? Are there times where you doubt, even though you have faith? And, and I think that probably for most of us, including myself, by the way, The answer is, yes, I do have faith, but I also have unbelief too. I have problems of faith. I need to grow in my faith. Yes, there are times that I doubt. Yes, there are times where I worry and I stress. And friends, I've said this before, and I think it's true, that worry and stress are a sign of unbelief. Now, don't worry. It doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. Remember, it's not an either-or thing. It's not a binary thing. Right? Just because you stress and worry doesn't mean God's like, oh, you suck. I'm casting you aside. Right? You still have faith, but there's unbelief there. Can we acknowledge that? If we can, friends, maybe we can get to that question. That question that is in all of our hearts, I think, in all of our souls. How do I grow my faith? How can God increase my faith? Because I want to have greater faith. It's not the greatest it could be. Is that you, friends? If it is, then, hey, you've come to the right place. Let's enter into the story today that talks exactly about this problem of having faith, but also having unbelief at the same time. So it says, and when they came to the disciples, and who is they? It's Jesus, uh, Peter, James, and John. They had just come off the mountain. Last week we talked about that. They, they had this uh, wonderful transfiguration experience where they were in the presence of, of the glory of God, and Jesus' whole countenance shone. His clothes were like sparkling white, and they were in the presence of Elijah and Moses, these dead prophets, and they were communing together. And Peter was like, so awesome, let's stay here forever. And Jesus was like, nah, let's go back. And they had to go back, right? And it was a confirmation of Jesus' identity. It was a beautiful communion. But the message was, can't stay on the mountain forever. You've got to come down. You've got to come down to real life. And here they are, coming down to real life. And what did they see? Uh, I, I read a commentary where it said that this is probably why Peter wanted to stay on the mountain, right? Because here you see the disciples, and you see scribes, and you see a great crowd 
just arguing. They're just arguing and yelling at, at each other. They're fighting, right? And Peter's probably like, oh, oy vey. Oh my gosh, we should have stayed on the mountain, yo. That is not good. But immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Why were they greatly amazed? Um, again, some commentaries think that maybe Jesus was still kind of glowing from the mountaintop, right? Maybe they were like looking at Jesus. They're like, whoa, something different about this dude. And here in their midst, Jesus, with the glory of God contained within him, that it was just radiating from him. And they were amazed, right? And so here he comes in the middle of their arguing, and he asks them, what are you arguing about? And so the, the, the crowd answers him, teacher, uh, or someone from the crowd answered him. Uh, it, it's a father. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Right? So uh, there's this, this boy who seems to have epilepsy, um, and he's mute, and he can't talk. And, you know, whatever it is, the spirit seizes him, falls on the ground, and he's foaming at the mouth. Right? And it causes him great harm. And so uh, the disciples were asked to cast it out, but they can't. And so they're arguing, right? We're told the scribes were there too, the teachers of the law and the crowd. And, and it seems like perhaps there were conversations going on that were asking, well, why can't you cast it out? What's wrong with you? Mm, maybe this the whole thing is fake. You know, ah, this is the proof we needed. And maybe the disciples, now they're trying to justify themselves. They're trying to argue. They're trying to explain. They're trying to rationalize. They're trying to give a reason why they couldn't do what Jesus did. They're getting defensive. They're getting a little flush. They're getting stressed, right? Their blood pressure is rising. The volume of their voice is rising. Now, yo, back off, man, back off. Take it easy on us, right? And, and so they're getting heated. Everyone's getting heated. And Jesus comes, he's like, What's going on? What's going on? And this is what he says. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And so, friends, here you see Jesus, um, you know, seeming to get frustrated in a way with the disciples, with the teachers of the law, with the crowd. I mean, it's kind of a harsh thing to say. Oh, faithless generation. What is faithless about this scenario? Friends, I think all the arguing. Just, just that critical spirit trying to find flaws. And also, I think the disciples trying to be so defensive. You know? They're trying to justify themselves. That critical argumentative spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. Oh, faithless generation. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? I wonder if for some people, you know, they're starting to lose faith because of the disciples, of the way they're acting. You know, you're going to see um, that when, when they bring the boy, um, he has another epileptic episode. He, he falls on the ground and he's convulsing. And, and he's rolling about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asks his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. 
as often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can. What do you mean by if you can? Why why does this father say, if you can? I think his faith is being rattled by what he sees in the disciples, by their faithlessness. Does that ever happen nowadays? That when people see the followers of Jesus today, Jesus' disciples now, their faith in Jesus is rattled as well? Sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, things like, oh, I like Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know about the followers of Jesus. I don't know about this church. You know, you see so many people who were supposed to be following Jesus, but we're so divided. We're arguing. We're so defensive. You know, we're so hateful. We're so quick to point out the other. And people look at this and they're like, hmm, yeah, I don't know about this God. You know, some people, again, it doesn't bother them. Uh, It doesn't shake their faith in God but their faith in the church. But for other people, man, brothers and sisters, I bet almost every single one of us knows somebody who's left the church, who's left their faith because of what they see in the so-called followers of Christ. Isn't that true? Right? And so it's no different in this time. Because of the argumentativeness, the defensiveness, that this father's like, hey, If you can, I don't even know if you can. I don't know if I believe in you, right? And and Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And friends, that's where the title of the message comes. That's where you see that paradox, right? That, That weird juxtaposition, right? On one hand, he says, I believe, Jesus, I believe. Heal my son. Go ahead, heal my son. Then he's like, help my unbelief. Which one is it? Is it unbelief or belief? I think it's both. I think it's both. I think the Father is us. He believes and yet doesn't believe, right? You know, you believe in Jesus, yet you still get really stressed out when things don't go your way. Oh my gosh, my world is falling apart. What does this mean? Oh my gosh, is everything going to go wrong? Help my unbelief. Mm, Yes, I believe in God, but I'm still afraid of death. I'm still afraid of what other people can do to me or what people can say to me. Oh, I know that God loves me. I just don't know if I'm lovable. I believe Help my unbelief. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? To pray that. To say, yes, I believe, but I also recognize I'm going to need some help. And friends, what's so cool about this passage is Jesus does not condemn them. Jesus does not condemn even the unbelieving generation. He's still with them. How long am I going to be with you? But I will never leave you. I will never leave you. Yeah, you don't fully believe. I'm still going to heal your son. And so what we see is, uh, I'm going to ask a question that comes from this. So let's just read the rest of this passage. Let's just let it unfold. Then I have a question for you. 
When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, which is a good question. They said, why could we not cast it out? Why were we unsuccessful, Jesus? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So friends, this begs the question. This is my question for you. And before we, uh, you know, I give you an answer, I want you to really think about it for a second. When do we see Jesus pray? Because he says, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. But when do we see Jesus pray in this passage? Look back, guys. Let's, let's go back, okay? So let's go back right after, I believe, help my unbelief. It says, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. So what is the implication here? Remember, Jesus often, in the book of Mark and in other places in the gospel, he doesn't want everyone to see or know about his power, right? And so oftentimes he'll heal someone and he says, shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone until after everything has been accomplished. He does this commonly. So what happens here? There's a whole crowd running. They're like, oh, we got to see this. They're running. And so Jesus is like, oh, they're coming. So I'm going to drive out the spirit now before they come, right? So... Then begs the question, when do you see Jesus pray? Right? He does this quickly, before the crowd can come. So nowhere here do we see Jesus get down on his knees, close his eyes, kneel down at the ground. Nowhere do we see a long speech where Jesus you know, does this whole thing. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is so good for you to be here. It's not this big you know, uh, soliloquy or anything like that. We don't see anything like that. In fact, we don't see any words spoken between Jesus and his father, right? But he does say, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. So it's clear that Jesus is praying. But how is he praying? So when did Jesus pray? How did Jesus pray? I think Jesus was praying all the time. All the time. In everything he did, he was praying. What do we mean by that? What is prayer itself? By the way, friends, if you don't believe me that this is something that we should aspire to, you know, look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, where it talks about praying without ceasing, right? That idea that you can pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean that. You know, you're at Starbucks and you're ordering your venti coffee and you're like, hey, can I get a venti coffee? Heavenly Father, God, thank you. It doesn't make any sense, right? Right? But praying without ceasing seems to indicate this kind of connection that you have to God. You are always immersed in the presence of God. You have this sense that God is always with you, no matter what you do, right? God is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. He is your father. 
He is your heavenly parent. You are his child. You can rest in that knowledge. And that, friends, I think is the kind of prayer that Jesus was always immersed in. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't use words when he prayed. He definitely did, right? He taught us the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And so on. There are definitely words to prayers. We see Jesus praying prayers. Um, John 14 through 17 is one huge prayer that takes place over four chapters in the book of John, right? So obviously, Jesus prays, right? That is very, very clear. Jesus prays using words, but Jesus also prays without words. He's always in the presence of God. He always senses and knows that God is with him. And friends, this is what I want to aspire to. This is the kind of union where if I was in the presence of God, all my fears, all my doubts would go away. When the crowd is questioning me, why isn't God working like you said he would? I don't need to get defensive. I don't need to get argumentative. I know that God is with me, right? I can always have that knowledge. When things don't go my way, when I'm disappointed by the results of life, when there is an unexpected illness, when there are difficulties that come my way, I don't need to doubt because I know God is with me. I know that he loves me. Now, friends, you might be saying, Pastor Steve, this seems impossible. I think all things are possible for those who believe. See what I did there? (laughs) All things are possible. For those who believe, what are we talking about when we say believe? In the Bible, the word faith and belief are the same thing. They're interchangeable, oftentimes. And what it means is not an intellectual belief. You know, like, like I believe, um, you know, in these things that I learned in, in a history class that I did not experience. Or I learned uh, these things that I saw on the internet, and I believe them. That is a form of belief, intellectual belief, for sure. But the belief it's talking about in the Bible is much more holistic than that. It is a trust. Oftentimes, I actually like to translate it as trust. Lord, I believe in you, but help my problems with trust. I don't fully trust you. I don't fully trust that you are good. And isn't that the case, friends? When you have problems of faith, isn't that what it really boils down to? Yes, I think it's part and parcel with the intellectual belief at times. If you don't believe that there's a God at all, then you're not going to believe he's good. That's definitely true. And I'm not saying abandon your intellectual beliefs, but I'm saying that it needs to go deeper than just the head level. It needs to go down to the place of a child in their father's, uh, uh, their parents' arms, where they just trust so implicitly. The child isn't in the parents' arms thinking, oh my gosh, don't drop me. I'm getting kind of heavy here, mom and dad. Oh my gosh, if you drop me, I'm going to split my head open. Oh, this, is, this will be horrible. Whoa, you're holding me kind of high, don't you think? Child doesn't do that. Child just trusts. Goo gaga, or whatever they say, right? You're just trusting. They're just chilling. They're just loved. They're just embraced. They trust so implicitly. That's what we want, friends. It doesn't mean you throw away your brains. It means that everything, heart, mind, body, and soul, is completely immersed in who God is. 
friends, I know no other way to do this but to spend time with God. How do you spend time with God? Probably the best way I know is what Jesus says in this passage. Prayer. This can only be accomplished by prayer. Sometimes the kinds when you use words, sometimes the kind that you don't. I was uh, reading this book this past week by Richard Foster called Prayer, and he talks about all these different forms of prayer. And one of the forms of prayer that I feel really drawn to lately is what he calls the prayer of rest. You know what the prayer of rest is? The prayer of rest is like a child in its parents' arms, just chilling, just trusting, learning to trust. Richard Foster, when he was talking about this, he shared about how he went on this retreat with a bunch of people. And, um, you know, it's supposed to be a time of great spiritual renewal, and they had, like, these seminars and talks. It was in this beautiful place. I guess there was these places where they had, like, cliffs. It was, like, overlooking an ocean. I'm like, man, I want to go there. That sounds awesome, right? And so during one of their break times, he just decided to take a walk. And as he was walking, he really felt the presence of God. He found this, like, little rickety wooden chair that was overlooking one of the cliffs. So he just decided to sit down and just look out over the cliffs. He could, you know, see birds flying around, and he could hear the gentle waters. And he just felt the voice of God saying within him, rest, child, shalom, peace, just rest. And so then he he started to, you know, just enjoy it and to just let go. And then after a while, he, he started to think to himself, hmm, I've been here for a while. Oh my gosh, I wonder if the next session is starting. Right? So he kind of looks at his watch. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm 15 minutes late. But again, he hears that voice. Hmm, child, just rest. Just rest. Shalom, peace. Just be still. He's like, okay, okay, God, I'm just going to rest. So about 30 minutes pass, and he's like, hmm. He just starts feeling that in his heart. He's like, oh my gosh, I've been so late. I wonder if they're going to start to worry. If, if the other participants, I, I, he, like, he started imagining that they were like, you know, uh, assembling a search party, that they called 911, that they're like, Richard, Richard, and they're just like looking all over the cliffs, right? But again, in the midst of those fears and worries, he hears that voice. My child, rest, peace, be still, shalom. And so he does it again. He just lets go. And he comes back like a good two, three hours later. And he walks into the building where everyone else is. And they turn and they're like, oh, hey, Richard, we didn't know you were gone. (laughs) Of course, the world kept spinning. Of course, God was still God. And this is what we need more and more, to rest in the knowledge of knowing who God is. Friends, some of us, we may not be very good at this. And sometimes it seems like when we talk about this, we are saying, do nothing, do nothing. And maybe there are times where that's needed to rest in God. But I'm also uh, comforted by what Eugene Peterson says about prayer. Um, he, he says that prayer takes place in the middle voice. For you guys who know grammar, you guys know active voice and passive voice, right? Active voice is like, Steve kicked the ball. And the passive voice was, Steve was kicked, in the head or whatever, right? Like I, I, so active means that I'm doing something and passive means something is being done to me, 
right? And this is what Eugene Peterson says. In grammar, the active voice is when we take action, and the passive voice is when we receive the action of another. But in the middle voice, we both act and are acted upon. We neither manipulate God, active voice, or are manipulated by God, passive voice. We are involved in the action and participate in its results, but do not control or define it, middle voice. Right? So what this means, friends, is that we are learning to be in that place where we can trust completely in where God is. But in the meantime, friends, and in this middle place of life, as we are ones who have faith and also have unbelief, sometimes you've got to take action, right? I think that's what praying in the middle voice means. It doesn't mean you just sit back and chill and do nothing. Right? Uh, Richard Foster had another story uh, related to this where he talked about being at this like, youth event where he was the, the guest speaker. And I guess it, it was like a really awesome event where all these kids, all these youth were giving their lives to Jesus. And during the prayer time, you know, like, like there's someone up there playing piano softly, you know, and people are giving their life to Jesus in that moment. They're praying, and it's awesome and glorious. And meanwhile, Richard Foster is so distracted by this. I think it was like a fan or something that was making a lot of noise. Just and, and so he starts praying even more. He's like, God, can you help that fan to stop in Jesus' name? Fan, be still. And the fan just keeps going. He's like, Lord Jesus, you are doing an awesome work upon these kids. Will you make the fan stop? Stop, Dan. And eventually, what does Richard Foster do? He gets up, walks over, turns off the fan. Sometimes you got to turn off the fans, friends. Sometimes there is your role in this, right? Where we have to take a step in faith. I know sometimes we talk about faith and actions Again, binary system, right? In this dualistic way of thinking that either you have faith or you have works. James was very clear about that. James the Apostle James, not our friends James who are in this room. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's this idea that you are supposed to have both faith and action. In fact, your, your faith is kind of shown through your action, as James says, right? And friends, acting within the faith you have Maybe some of us, we're going to go home and clear out some time in our schedule to just rest in the Lord, to learn to trust in Him. Maybe some of us are going to turn off the noisy fans of our lives. Turn off that cell phone, friends. Maybe just for an hour or two. Go for a walk. It's beautiful out there in Michigan. As long as you can get somewhere and you don't slip too much on the ice, friends. But... God has given us this beautiful world that are reminders all the time of His goodness, of, of His love and care for us. Because why would God give us such a beautiful world if He didn't love us? Why, why would He give us such marvelous things if He didn't want us to thrive and prosper? Just look around. Just absorb the goodness of God. Rest in the goodness of God. And I'm telling you, friends, as you do those things, your faith will increase. Your trust in God will increase. And it's one of these things. It's like the parable of the talents. 
When you have, you get more. When you invest your faith in God, you get more back. And then with that greater faith, keep investing it. Keep bringing it back to God. Keep acting within the faith that God has given you. Maybe for some of us, the thing you can do right now in faith is to reach out to another person in love. Pray for someone else. Maybe you're having trouble praying for yourself, but you can be like Jesus in the passage where he, he's like, ah, faithless generation, ah, I don't know what to do with you, but here I can help this boy. I can help this boy right now. And maybe that's all we can do is help the person next to you. Maybe that will be your little act of prayer today. Friends, do what you can with the faith that you have. In the trust in knowing that God is there with you. Rest in that and let your faith increase. Don't judge it. Don't think I'm awful. Don't succumb to this binary way of thinking either I'm awesome or I suck. No, friends, we are all in journey. We are all learning more and more how to trust in God. So friends, in that spirit, I invite you to prayer. Praise team, can you you come up? And, And I want to invite you, friends, just in quietness and trust, if we can come to a place where we can just be still. Friends, when you do that, I'm telling you, I know this for a fact, that when you're still, oftentimes, your mind is still really noisy. Insecurities and all kinds of emotions will start to bubble up. You know, what's great about a time like this, what's great about marking aside time, you know, setting it aside, that, that's really what holy means. You're setting something aside for God. When you set it aside, then something in your heart starts to give way. When you don't set it aside, something in your heart is always going to fight it. You guys ever just try to pray in the middle of your day when you're in the middle of your stress and your worry? It's really hard to do. Why? Because you haven't set aside that time. It's still succumbing to your noisy mind that's like, oh my gosh, we got to get things done. We got to get things done. We got to be productive. We got to get this done right now. Friends, that's the faithless generation that we all live in. That we all live in. There's no judgment there, friends. But we all live in it. We need to set aside a time for faith and trust. Set aside a time where we know we have nowhere to go. So we might as well succumb, give in, to rest. To let God be God in our lives. To learn how to trust Him with this time that we are giving to Him. And learning that when we do that, that time is not wasted. And our lives are not less secure. We're not less productive or less likely to succeed because we spent 15 minutes with God. By no means. But maybe we have a little more trust in God. Maybe we have a little more faith in His goodness. So friends, I encourage you, let's just take the next few minutes and let's rest. And let's learn to trust in the goodness of God. God the healer, God the restorer, God who wants to make all things new. He is trustworthy and he loves you. He has given you this beautiful world, friends. Rest in that trust and knowledge. Just rest. Don't overthink it. Don't critique. Don't judge. Don't argue. Just trust. Just rest.
just feel the stillness is so good right now. And so I'm going to invite the praise team actually to just go straight into this praise song. And if you want to continue just enjoying this rest, please do so. If you want to join us in singing it, you're also welcome to do that. Just freedom in Christ. Just whatever you want to do right now to respond. Uh, either rest in silence or join us in this song. Or just maybe listen to the words as we sing them over you. And we sing them to God. Uh, we invite you to do that.